The following podcast is sponsor content from Amazon. A Fine Mist of Blood by Michael Connolly. Part 3. Two days later, Bosch pulled up to Diane Gable's house at nine in the morning. The Range Rover was not in the driveway. He got out and went to the front door. After two loud knocks went unanswered, he walked around the house to the back door. He knocked again. When there was no reply, he removed a set of lock picks from behind his badge and the leather wallet he carried and went to work on the deadbolt. It took him six minutes to open the door. He was greeted by the beeping of the burglar alarm. He located the box on the wall to the left of the back door and punched in the four numbers he had seen Gables enter at the front door two evenings before. The beeping stopped. Bosch was in. He left the door open and started looking around the house. It was a post-World War II ranch house. Bosch had been in a thousand of them over all the years and all the investigations. After a quick survey of the entire house, he started his search in a bedroom converted to a home office. There was a desk and a row of file cabinets along the wall where a bed should be. There was a line of windows over the cabinets. There was also a metal locker with a padlock on it. Bosch opened the Venetian blinds over the file cabinets, and light came into the room. He moved to the metal locker and started there, pulling his picks out once again. He knelt on the floor so he could see the lock closely. It turned out to be a three-pin breeze, taking less than a minute for him to open. A moment after the hasp snapped free, he heard a voice from behind. Detective, don't move. Bosch froze for a moment. He recognized the voice. Diane Gables. She had known he would come back. He slowly started to raise his hands, holding his fingers close together so he could hide the picks between them. Easy, Gables commanded. If you attempt to reach for your weapon, I will put two bullets into your skull. Do you understand? Yes. Can I stand up? My knees aren't what they once were. Slowly. Your hand's always in my sight line. Absolutely. Bosch started to get up slowly, turning toward her at the same time. She was pointing a handgun with a suppressor attached to the barrel. Easy, he said. Just take it easy here. No, you take it easy. I could shoot you where you stand and be within my rights. Bosch shook his head. No, that's not true. You know I'm a cop. A rogue cop? What do you think you were going to find here? Evidence. Of what? Randolph and McIntyre. Maybe others. You killed them. And what? You thought I'd just keep the evidence around? Hide it in a locker in my home? Something like that. Can I sit down? The chair behind the desk. Keep your hands on the desk where I can see them. Bosch slowly sat down. She was still standing in the doorway. He now had 60% of his body shielded by the desk. He had his back to the file cabinets. The light was coming in from behind and above him. He noticed she had now lowered the muzzle to point at his chest. This was good, 
though from this range, he doubted the Kevlar would completely stop a bullet from a 9mm, even with the suppressor slowing it down. He put his hands down flat on the desk. He was still concealing the lockpicks, though he wasn't sure why or what use they were going to be now. So now what? He asked. So now you tell me what you think you've got on me. Bosch shook his head as if to say, not much. You lied. The other day you didn't mention the McIntyre case. You didn't want us linking the cases through you. The trouble is we already had. And what? That's it? That's it till now. Bosch nodded at her weapon. It seemed to confirm all hunches. So, of course, without a real case and the search warrant to go with it, you decided to break in here and see what you could find. Not exactly. We have a problem, Detective Bosch. No, you have the problem. You're a killer, and I'm on to you. Put the weapon down. You're under arrest. She laughed and waggled the gun in her hand. (laughs) You forget one thing. I have the gun. But you won't use it. You don't kill people like me. You kill the abusers, the predators. I can make an exception. You've broken the law by breaking in here. There are no gray areas. Who knows? Maybe you came to plant evidence here, not find it. Maybe you are like them. How do you pick them? She stared at him a long time, then finally answered. They pick themselves. They deserve what they get. No judge, no jury, just you. Don't tell me you haven't wished you could do the same thing. Sure, on occasion, but there are rules. We don't live by them, then where does it all go? Right here, I guess. What am I gonna do about you? Nothing. You kill me, and you know it's over. You'll be like one of them. Put the gun down. She took two steps into the room, coming closer. The muzzle came up to his face. Bosch saw that deadly black eye rising in slow motion. You're wearing a vest, aren't you? He nodded. I could see it in your eyes. The fear comes up when the gun comes up. Bosch shook his head. I'm not afraid. You won't shoot me. I still see fear. Not for me. It's for you. How many have there been? She paused as if to decide what to tell him. Or maybe just to decide what to do. Or maybe she was stuck on his answer about the fear. More than you'll ever know. More than anybody will ever know. Look. I'm sorry, you know. About what? About there being only one real way out of this. For me. The muzzle steadied, its aim at his eyes. Before you pull that trigger, can I show you something? It won't matter. I think it will. It's inside my jacket pocket. She frowned, then made a signal with the gun. Show me your wrists. Where's your watch? Bosch raised his hands and his jacket sleeves came down, showing his watch on his right wrist. He was left-handed. Okay, take whatever it is you need to show me out with your right hand. Slowly, detective. Slowly. You got it. Bosch reached in and with great deliberation pulled the folded document out. He handed it across the desk to her. Just put it down and then lean away. He followed her instruction. She waited for him to move back and then picked up the document. With one hand, she unfolded it and took a glance, taking her eyes off Bosch for no more than a second. I'm not going to be able to read it. What is it? It's a no-knock search warrant. 
I have broken no law by being here. I'm not one of them. She stared at him for a silent 30 seconds, and then finally smirked. You have to be kidding me. What valid judge would sign a search warrant? You had zero probable cause. I had your lies and your proximity to two murders, and I had Judge Oscar Ortiz. You remember him? Who's he? Back in 02, he had the McIntyre case. But you took it away from him when you executed McIntyre. Getting him to sign a search warrant wasn't hard once I reminded him about the case. Anger worked into her face. The muzzle started to come up. All I have to say is one word. Bosch said. A one-syllable word. And what? And you're dead. She froze, and slowly her eyes rose from Bosch's face to the windows over the file cabinets. You open the blinds, she said. Yes. Bosch studied the two red laser dots that had played on her face since she had entered the room, one high on her forehead, the other on her chin. Bosch knew that the lasers did not account for bullet drop, but the SWAT sharpshooters on the roof of the house across the street did. The chin dot was the heart shot. Gable seemed frozen, unable to choose between living and dying. There's a lot you could tell us, he said. We could learn from you. Why don't you just put the gun down and we can get started? He slowly started to lean forward, raising his left hand to take the gun. I don't think so, she said. She brought the muzzle up, but he didn't say the word. He didn't think she'd shoot. There were three sounds in immediate succession. The breaking of glass as the bullet passed through the window. A sound like an ice cream cone dropping on the sidewalk as the bullet passed through her chest. And then the thock of the slug hitting the doorframe behind her. A fine mist of blood started to fill the room. Gables took a step backward and looked down at her chest as her arms dropped to her sides. The gun made a dull sound when it hit the carpet. She looked at Bosch with a confused look. In a strained voice, she asked her last question. What was the word? She then dropped to the floor. Staying below the level of the file cabinets, Bosch left the desk and came around to her on the floor. He slid the gun out of reach and looked down at her eyes. He knew there was nothing he could do. The bullet would have exploded her heart. Bastards, he yelled. I didn't say it. I didn't say the word. Gables closed her eyes, and Bosch thought she was gone. We're clear, he said. Suspect is 10-7. Repeat, suspect is 10-7. Weapons stand down. He started to get up, but saw that Gables had opened her eyes. Nine, she whispered, blood coming up on her lips. Bosch leaned down to her. What? I killed nine. She nodded, and then closed her eyes again. He knew that this time she was gone, but he nodded anyway. A Fine Mist of Blood was written by Michael Connolly. It starred Titus Welliver, Jamie Hector, Tara Buck, Nikhil Pye, Cheryl Francis Harrington, and was narrated by Miles Chapin. The podcast was directed by Rachel Walther, produced by Margaret Kelly, and sound designed by Dan Rosato. Thanks to Jenny Barish, Sarah Bentley, Andy Bowers, Tina Shaw, Andrew Chug, Emily Rubin, and Matt Turk. 
produced by Panoply Custom Studios. All rights reserved. Get your free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and start watching Bosch today. You won't regret it.